morning, guys. So, I forgot to put a trigger warning in this episode. So, just popping in at the start with it. So, trigger warning for, obviously, the standard murder. There is also necrophilia involved in this case. Um, rape. Um, animal abuse. And that kind of covers, I think, the majority of the most kind of grisly bits. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's but it's it's a case. It's a jump scare. It's a case. It's, uh, yeah. Also, prepare for the quality change of moving from the sitting room to the car. <laughs> you might notice that at some point. Um, but it's still all good quality, I promise. So yeah, with that said, um, enjoy the case as much as one can enjoy a true crime case. Let us know your thoughts, and thanks for listening. Bye. I know you're about to hear us say hi in about two seconds. <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Twisted Talks. I'm Tanya. I'm Josh. And today it is Josh's turn to tell us a horrible story. Yeah, this one is actually quite horrible. It's bad, it's bad, yeah. Um, And I'm still sick because we're still recording the same day as we recorded last week's. So, He has, we've both still been poisoned. Um, So, yeah, I'll just jump straight in because to be fair... I got a lot on this one. Yeah. And even at the amount I got, I left stuff out. Yeah, like, uh, sorry, I will still be yawning. I am still tired. Yeah, this one's, it's a fairly well-known case, I would say. I recognise the, that, but I didn't recognise that. Yeah. Um, Because I haven't heard it in a while, so I feel like it'll be fairly new to me. So take it away, Joshua. This week, I'm covering the case of Edmund Emile Kemper III, also known as the co-ed killer. Fantastic name. As most of his victims, the ones that weren't related to him, were college students. Um, so, starting off with the early life, Edmund Emile Kemper III was born on the 18th of December 1948 in Burbank, California, to parents Clarnell Kemper and Edmund Emile Kemper II. The second. The second. His daddy was the second and he is the third. Um, Kemper was the middle child of three children. He had an older sister, Susan Huey Kemper. Sorry, nearly forgot the surname. And younger sister, Alan, Al, Aileen Lee Kemper, is how I'd say that, because... I think it... Aileen. Because Alan sounds like a man's name. Yeah, but this is... I've, like, Ashley can be a girl's name. Yeah, but Ashley Courtney sounds both male and female. Can I've be never heard name. of Alan as a woman's name. Courtney can be a boy's name. Courtney was originally a boy's name, actually. I'm pretty sure it's Aelin, though, because I've heard that name before. But okay. not necessarily in regards to this case, but I've yeah. heard the name Aelin before. I would say It's Aileen. like Aileen. Oh, yeah. You oh, know. yeah. But it's Aileen. Right, continue. Proceed. Anyway, Kemper's father had fought in World War Two and later tested nuclear weapons in the Pacific Proving Grounds. Lovely. Before eventually returning to California and working as an electrician. Now, Kemper's childhood was turbulent, to say the least. His mother was an alcoholic, and it is said that she potentially had borderline personality disorder. Same. Um, mood. But we ain't like this bitch. Okay. Um, okay, interesting. Clarnell's behaviour was so erratic that Kemper's father once said, and this is a quote, suicide missions in wartime and the later atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. Oh, my God. Now, Clarnell regularly criticised Kemper's father for his, quote, menial job, unquote, as an electrician. She also refused to coddle Kemper as she feared it would turn him gay. So, that's, that's also... Yeah, because that's how it works. That's how it works, yeah. Um, by the age of four, Kemper was already a head taller than the others his age. 
my yeah, god, he's a tall kid. Oh yeah, because even as an adult, he's like six nine. I didn't know he was that tall. Yeah, he's like he's the giant. Um, Jesus Christ! But I, uh, Kemper started to develop dark fantasies at a young, a very young age. Standard procedure with serial mm-hmm. killers, I yeah, guess. Don't they always? He began to decapitate his sister's dolls. Now I don't really think that's. I mean, who, not something. Who among us hasn't stuck a Barbie in the microwave? Do you know, like I feel like everyone's done something stupid to a doll at some stage, or do you know, a brother bullying their sister when yeah. younger and breaking dolls. So, like, okay, that to me wasn't a major thing. But the later comment, Kemper later said, "I remember there was actually a sexual thrill. You hear that little pop and pull their heads off and hold them up by the hair, whipping their heads off their bodies sitting there, whipping their heads off their bodies sitting there. That'd get me off." And he was how old? Um, I don't know what age he was at, but at a young age anyway, obviously. Okay, that's concerning. Uh, Kemper would also, wait for this, it's also it's almost foretelling. Kemper would also force his sister to play games, and these were not normal childhood games. Oh, it was God. disturbing things like electric chair and gas chamber. He would have his sisters blindfold him and lead him to a chair where he would pretend to writhe around in pain until he died. What the fuck? Yeah. So, what the fuck? You know, he had... Two near-death experiences during his childhood. His older sister Susan once tried to push him out in front of an oncoming train. And okay. another time she success- she successfully pushed him into a swimming pool and he came close to drowning. Was Susan... Is she okay? <laughs> <laughs> Is it genetics? <laughs> I was going to say, was Susan psychic or something? <laughs> psychic Susan. Psychic. <laughs> Sorry, okay. But also... Yeah. Your kids aren't okay, lads. They're, the kids aren't alright. Now, I know, like, you all have the odd moment where, like, do you know when you're younger and you're fighting with your siblings and you might push them or you might push them off maybe the fucking monkey I bars, mean, not attempt to push them out in front of an oncoming train. Anthony nearly strangled me once when we were kids. But in fairness, he was riddled in ADHD. Yeah, do you know, like... Riddled in it. There's, yeah, but there's always things like that, but, like, you know, stuff like that gets stopped. Yeah. Like if someone yeah, if you're no, successfully pushed out, stepped in that's and said, I mean. Anthony, you can't choke your sister. But like, if it's in terms of like, he didn't try to push you out in front of a train because no. it, once you're out in front of that train, they can't be like, Anthony, you can't push your sister out in front of a train. Yeah. But like, how do you even like discipline your child for that? But like, I just I don't know. How do you go about it? Like, how do you even want? Like, I don't know. But anyway, so that was his two near experiences when he was younger. Kemper once stalked his second grade teacher wait for, while carrying a bayonet that belonged to his father. So, um, for anyone that doesn't know, a bayonet is like a knife that basically attaches to a gun. So, yeah, it's a rifle with a, a knife on it. Yeah, but the bayonet is the name of only the knife part. Yeah. Oh, um, so he just had... Okay, so he only had the knife part. Um, Sweet Jesus. And then Kemper's sister, Susan, obviously teased him, you know, mocking him, saying, ooh, kissing the teacher, you know, like trying to yeah, wind him up. Like, thre- after pushed him out for the train. And um, his response was, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. Ew. Ew. He's not he even, was in he, second grade? He was, what, eight? I don't know, but he was eight. still a child. I'm going to say eight. Still, still a youngin. A very, very young and youngin. But anyway, at ten years of age, Kemper's disturbing behaviour escalated to violence. And after his father left the family in 1957, he buried their family cat alive. Excuse me. After it had died, he dug it back up, decapitated it, and mounted the head on a spike. Excuse me. So that's the, yeah. I'm actually going to edit in a trigger warning about a few things beforehand because I forgot to do that. But um, anyway, 
In later statements made by Kemper, he said how lying to his family about killing the animal gave him pleasure. Can you not lie about other things? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fully standing in a corner right now trying to process everything. Like, it's just, it's like animal abuse is bad enough, but like, it's awful. I hate fucking animals being harmed and stuff. But, and even to, to bury alive is awful. But yeah, there's no words. So, now that Kemper's father wasn't around... Let me sit back down. Let me sit back down. His mother began to channel her aggression towards Kemper. She forced him to sleep in the basement, claiming that he might hurt his sisters. Do you know what? Fair enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, but she didn't know about the cat. Oh, but then she's a fucking psycho as well. Um, as far as I know, because like, do you know what he later said that lying about killing the animals gave oh, him pleasure. Oh, it gave him pleasure. Yeah, sorry, I was in the corner processing it, but I didn't, oh. yeah. But, um, so yeah, she would regularly berate and insult him, I'm telling sorry, him I've that... I've just seen something in your research there, and I've just... Oh, the, the, the heading. I'm starting to think I've not heard this case before, because this is all new to me. Yeah, so, here we go. Jesus um. Christ. So obviously, yeah, she would regularly berate and insult him, telling him that no woman would ever fall in love with him. That's mean. Very. That's very mean. And then Kemper killed the second family cat when he was 13 years oh old. Oh my God, when they stop getting cats, please. He thought the cat was showing more affection to his younger sister than to him. He cut its body into numerous pieces and kept them in his closet until his mother found them. Yeah. Th- this is one I wish we were recording because I feel like my reactions are just... <laughs> Video recording, whatever. But No, I knew what you meant. At 14 years of age, Kemper had enough of his mother... And the way she treated him. So he ran away from his mother's house to live with his father. However, by this point, his father had remarried and sent his son to live with his grandparents. Because, you know, when you remarry, you automatically don't have any kids from before that marriage, apparently. Right, cancels um, them out. But it wouldn't take long until Kemper hated his grandparents, too. So, now, Kemper was now living with his paternal grandparents in North Fork, uh, California. Kemper felt that living on his grandparents' ranch was no better than living at his mother's. He later called his grandfather senile and complained that his grandmother was emasculating. Kemper would later say about his grandmother that she thought she had more balls than any man and was constantly emasculating me and my grandfather to prove it. So after arguing with his grandmother on numerous occasions, Kemper was obviously getting angrier and angrier every time. On the 27th of August 1964... Kemper got into a heated argument with his grandmother. However, this time, furious 15-year-old Kemper went and got his grandfather's twenty-two caliber rifle, returned to his grandmother in the kitchen and shot her in the back of the head before quickly firing two more shots in her back. Some sources report that he also stabbed her three times with either a butcher knife or a kitchen knife. So, yeah. Oh my God. The murder of his grandmother had taken place while his grandfather was out running errands and once Kemper was sure his grandmother was dead, he knew he would have to kill his grandfather too. So he went to the porch to wait for his grandfather to get back. Uh, when Kemper's grandfather returned home and was walking up the driveway to the house, Kemper shot him too. And now both of his grandparents were dead because of him. Okay. Kemper later explained that he's killed his, he'd killed his grandmother Maud because he, quote, just wanted to see what it felt like to kill grandma, unquote. Okay. Um, so yeah. As 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 you do, you know. However, Kemper had killed his grandfather so so that he wouldn't find out his wife had been murdered. Apparently, 
so kind of a bit of like so he didn't have to discover his wife but also a bit of like you know it was kind of something he'd have to do as far as he was concerned but then after both his grandparents were dead it must like i'm kind of inclined in some assessments to mean that maybe it was he didn't want his grandfather to find her his wife murdered Mm. because of the fact that after both his grandparents were dead kemper called his mother confessed to what he'd done and she told him to call the police and tell them what happened and that's what he did so it wasn't like, I have to kill my grandfather so nobody finds out. It was, oh, I can't have granddad finding Nana dead in the kitchen. But then again, this fella, as as we go on, seems just to be like... A psycho? Not even a, like a psychopath or a sociopath or something, I don't know. I would have to say this is definitely one of, already, one of the worst... Okay, I know it's am really far away from my phone, but like, this is already... Yeah, girl, stop being so erratic. I'm erratic! This is supposed to be erratic. Jesus Christ, this is definitely one of the worst cases already. Um, oh, da, 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 da. but yeah so call the police whatever Kemper was obviously tried as a juvenile Um, at trial court psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia and he was sent to the criminally insane unit of, blah, blah, blah. he was sent to the criminally insane unit of Atas- Atascadero State Hospital a maximum security facility for mental ill convicts so going into the time there and imprisonments and stuff like that okay However, at Atas- What do you mean, however? However, at Atascadero State Hospital, the psychiatrist and social worker strongly disagreed with the court psychiatrists on their diagnosis and assessment of Kemper, which, to be honest, so do I. Okay. Like, he does sound like he's a psychopath or experienced psychosis or something like that, but he doesn't sound any bit like someone with paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah, no, like, there was... I don't see how they came to that conclusion. But... Kemper was found to have a genius IQ during his time at the facility. He scored 136 in one IQ test, and in a later test he scored 145. Oh, God. Um, which I believe isn't fair off Albert Einstein. I believe you're correct. Um, I think, I I think Albert know. Einstein was 160-something from when I checked. Take that pinch of salt, because I'm not 100% sure. But I think there was only like a 20 or 30 difference between him and Einstein. And they led very different lives. Yeah. Um, so because Kemper was so smart and sharp, he was allowed access to some of the assessment devices or tools, and at times he was even left to carry out assessments on other inmates, including sex offenders. Mm-hmm. However, Kemper was only in um, Atascadero State Hospital for about six years, and on his 21st birthday in 1969, he was released. Now, it was advised by doctors at the facility that he should not live with his mother because of her past abuse and his psychological issues surrounding her. Fair enough makes sense makes sounds like a yeah. solid good recommendation to make yeah despite the recommendation of his doctors oh my god when he was released nobody must have been watching out to see where kemper would live and as he had no means of supporting himself and no assistance from the youth authority kemper moved back in with his mother clarnell clarnell had previously remarried taking the name strandberg but was divorced again by the time kemper was living back with her According to Kemper, Clarnell began to berate him once again. Um, now, Clarnell had taken um, a job as an administrative assistant at a new university in Santa Cruz. And ah, sorry, I just... Oh, the nose piercing. Yeah, my glasses nearly ripped Yeah, out. that's a different kind of sore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, at a new university in Santa Cruz, and Kemper and her were now living in a duplex on Ard Drive in Aptos. Um, they argued regularly, and these arguments were often heard by neighbours. Um, as part of his parole requirements, Kemper attended community college, and he did well with hopes to get into the police academy someday. 
However, he was six foot nine and three hundred pounds. So his height and weight was apparently an issue and being so tall and thus heavy disqualified him from joining the police. So his dream of being a state trooper was now off the table. Okay, because I know there's like... Um, I feel like that might be different now compared yeah, to Yeah, but then. I know, I'm sure... But like, how are you supposed to like... You definitely wouldn't be able to do undercover like, work. I'm sure we went to school with a girl. I'm not going to say her name, obviously, but... um, I don't know if she is a guard now, but I know she always wanted to be one and her biggest concern was that like she was quite short. I know someone as well. Yeah. Same um, concern. And... Uh. She was, I think, just under the height requirement or something. Like, literally just, just. under. But I think, like, I'm nearly sure she... Still got in. Yeah. Maybe they've changed things, though. Maybe. Because I know, obviously, your height and stuff could also be safety concerns on the job. Yeah. But, um... Look at that big, long, lanky motherfucker. Yeah, and, like, obviously, he was, like, 300 pounds at six foot nine. He must have, like... That doesn't sound like he was heavy or anything, but it sounds like he wouldn't have been skinny. Yeah, especially for his height. Yeah. So, then, uh, Kemper, obviously, he had several different jobs until he finally ended up working with the California Highway Department. So, I suppose, closest thing to being some sort of cop. Yeah. You know? Some kind of authority. Yeah. So, like a road cop, I guess. Yeah. And once he'd saved up enough money, he moved out of his mother's home to Alameda, where he shared an apartment with a friend. However, Kemper did often have financial troubles and sometimes ended up living back home with Clarnell. So, not always, but back and forth a bit is what I gathered from the resources that I had. Um, Kemper bought a motorcycle, but he actually got into two separate accidents, one of which some sources say paid out a settlement of $15,000. So, using money out of the settlement, he purchased a yellow Ford Galaxy and began to cruise the area. He's cruising. So, during his cruises, Kemper noticed that a lot of young women hitchhiked in the area. At the time, this was obviously, you know, at the time it was a very popular Popular way, especially for students to travel. Um, So Kemper said um, himself in later interviews that he looked them over and thought about things he could do to them. Yeah. Yeah. He began to gather things such as plastic bags, knives, a blanket and handcuffs, keeping all these items in the boot or trunk of his car. Um, So Kemper now only had to wait for an opportunity because he had everything he needed. Mm -hmm. Um, He was prepared. Yeah. So going by his own estimation, he picked up around 150 hitchhikers who he could have chosen for his plans until finally he felt homicidal sexual urges that he named Little Zapples. Sorry, what? Little Zapples? Little Zapples. Little Zapples. And he acted. Love that. So, in an 11-month period between May of 1972 and April of 1973, Kemper murdered eight women. Five college students, one high school student, his own mother, and her best friend. Oh my god. I don't know why I was so taken aback by him killing Clarnell, to yeah, be honest. I know, but I think it says good things about us. Yeah. <laughs> that was still taken back. But, um, so it was also during this time that Kemper had a psychiatric follow up and he prepared himself to trick his psychiatrists into thinking he was rehabilitated and quote unquote cured. Never a good sign. The day after committing his third murder, he actually stood before a panel of psychiatrists for the follow-up, required as part of the parole. Kemper had done well in school, had tried finding a job, and as far as anyone could tell, he had stayed out of trouble. He knew exactly what the board wanted to hear, and he put on his best act. I suppose that's the whole high IQ thing as well. Yeah, he knows how to manipulate, and like he was so smart that he was able to handle assessment stuff at uh, his time when he was younger. Um, 
So the first doctor that spoke to him saw no reason to consider him a danger. The second doctor even used the words normal and safe. And both doctors recommended that Kemper, Kemper's juvenile records be sealed as a way of further helping him become a better citizen. And I guess, you know, that would make him more easily employed, more employment opportunities, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, Kemper had outsmarted who, outsmarted who he needed to. And no doubt this was likely a big ego boost for him. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of... Yeah, anyway, then getting into the actual murders. Mm -hmm. On the 7th of May, 1972, Kemper picked up two Fresno State students, Marianne Pesky or Pess. I don't know which way it would be pronounced. Mm, I would say Pess or Pesh. Yeah, do you know, but anyway, who was 18, and uh, Anita Luchessa, that's how I'm assuming it's Mm -hmm. pronounced, also 18, near Berkeley, California. Now, Kemper brought the two girls to a wooded area nearby with the intent to rape them, but he panicked. He stabbed and choked them both until they were dead. Um, He then put both bodies into the trunk of his car and began to drive to his house in Alameda. Mm -hmm. So, during the drive to his home, he was stopped by a police officer as he had a broken taillight. Why do you have two dead bodies in the boot? Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. But the officer did not search the car. And I was like, why do things like this seem to happen so much with serial killers Honestly. getting stopped for something, you know, that's probably minor, but it turns out there's, the, but they have a body or more than one body in the car. Like, obviously, okay, the car wasn't going to get searched over a broken taillight. Yeah. But it's a shame that there wasn't probable cause or some reason yeah. to search the car so that Kemper would have been, you know, put to a stop before killing anyone else. Yeah. Now, once Kemper arrived home with the bodies, um, he raped them before dismembering them placing the body parts into plastic bags and then disposed of them. Yeah. Um, I have yeah. no words. And I'm like, yeah. So, yeah. When neither of the girls made it to where they were going, it wasn't long until their families reported them as missing. However, it wouldn't be until the 15th of August that year that their fates would be known. So, bear in mind, that was May. Oh, my God. That it happened. And in the 15th of August is when news would be heard. So, it was on that day, the 15th of August, that a female head was found in the woods near Santa Cruz and would later be identified as the head of Marianne Pesh. Now, Anita Luchessa's remains were never found. But, obviously, they were together. Mm -hmm. So, So you know. Yeah. But it could have been a case of animal predation or you know and then as well like sure obviously you know he gets caught later on so it all comes out anyway so that's how we know but I'm not sure how to pronounce this person I'm going to do my best so on the 14th of September 1972 Kemper picked up another hitchhiker this time it was Aiko Ku she was 15 years old and had missed her bus to dance class I would say Aiko I'm just going to stick with what I'm saying because yeah. I'm even if I correct it, I'm going to still say it. Yeah. Kemper was supposedly surprised she was only 15. He must have thought that she looked older, but he was still determined to carry out his plan. He's like, well, I've got you now, so... Basically. Kemper pulled out a gun to sh- just to show that he had one. Yeah. And understandable, understandably, Aiko was freaking out, obviously scared. Kemper then put the gun away, which he claimed had more effect on her than pulling it out in the first place. Because she knew it was there. So she knew it was there, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Now, Kemper got out of the car unintentionally locking himself out of it, potentially giving Aiko an advantage. 
but she was too scared to pick up the gun that was still in the car. And unfortunately, Kemper managed to persuade her to unlock the car for him to get back in. He then choked her unconscious before raping her. He then strangled her until she was dead and put her body in the trunk of his car. Piece of shit. Yeah. Kemper later recalled looking down at his latest kill with a sense of pride, saying that he, quote, admired his catch like a fisherman, unquote. Oh my God. Yeah. What a piece of shit. So, yeah. I'm assuming getting cocky, or just for the risk and thrill that came with it, um, the thrill that came with the risk, sorry, Kemper began to spend time at a bar called the Jewelry Room, where police officers gathered. And he would listen to their stories and, you know, talk to them. So, obviously, being close to the people that were trying to catch him must have been thrilling for him. Yes. Now, they all knew him and referred to him as Big Ed. And they generally taught him to be a polite young man. Mm. He was described as having a soft voice, polite in manner, and his speech intelligent and articulate. But with an IQ like his, of course you're going to be. Yeah. So, in 1973, Kemper was living back with his mother. However, this didn't stop him from continuing his killing spree. Kemper had bought a 22 caliber pistol and on the 7th of January 1973 Kemper picked up hitchhiker Cindy Shaw. Now I don't know if there's just a bit of confusion there on maybe he bought that um gun earlier seem as he had a gun in 1972 in September yeah. with Ico Ku. So I I don't know, did he maybe already have the gun and maybe he purchased it at an earlier date or if he somehow had sourced a gun back then from somewhere else. But either way, regardless of when he got the gun, he either got a gun in 1973 or in 1972. But going by resources, it seems like that somehow he had a gun in 1972, but he purchased one in 1973. Mm. I don't know. But either way, man got guns. Um, So... He picked up hitchhiker Cindy Shaw. He drove to a secluded area and shot and killed Cindy. And while his mother was out, he went home and hid Cindy's body in his room. Lovely. The next day, he dismembered her body in the bath, beheaded her and threw parts into the ocean. Like, I think it was off a cliff, but obviously Mm. into the ocean then. Yeah. Um, Numerous body parts were later found when they washed up on a beach. And he had actually buried Cindy's head in the backyard of his mother's home. According to Kemper, he did this because his mother, quote, always wanted people to look up to her, unquote. Okay. So that's, um... Interesting. Um, ironic and sick. Twisted. Yeah. Since, interesting sense of humour. Um, so yeah. Then, Kemper also, it's worth mentioning before this, Kemper had a campus parking sticker that his mother had given him. I'm assuming she was obviously still working at that university. Yeah. So, do you know, she obviously gave him one for, I don't know, if he was ever maybe collecting her or visiting her yeah, or just anything like that. Exactly. So, on the 5th of February 1973, using the parking sticker, Kemper went to the university and offered two students a ride Rosalind Torp, who was 23, and Alice Liu, 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 I don't know, who was 20. Liu, I Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, not long after picking the two up, he shot them. Kemper then drove past campus um, security at the gates with two mortally wounded women in his car. What the fuck? Kemper later told some interviewers that he explained to the campus security that the girls were drunk and he was trying to get them back to their dorms. The girls were wrapped in blankets, so I assume any wounds were not visible. He must have done that mm. maybe afterwards. Yeah. After the shooting. I suppose if the blankets were dark coloured, you wouldn't see the As well, yeah. Um, probably a believable story on a campus, you mm. know, as well, that, you know, College students, College students had a few drinks, need yeah. to get home. 
And so the guard accepted the story and that was that. Kemper seemed as good as invisible at this point and he later said, it was getting easier to do, I was getting better at it. Fantastic. And unfortunately he's not wrong. Yeah. It clearly was getting easier for him to do and he must have been getting better at it. Yeah. Until finally. But anyway... After the murders... Sorry, I know they say practice makes perfect, but... but this is not the kind of thing anyone should be practising. Yeah. Read a crime novel, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Do a podcast. <laughs> we don't have homicidal <laughs> tendencies, Tanya, or at least I just don't. Just to clarify, just to um, clarify, we don't. Um, after the murders, he decapitated both victims, before then raping both the severed head and the headless body. Uh, yeah. Sorry. And, like... Sorry. This The disrespect of it, like... As if, well, obviously murdering someone is disrespectful, to say the least. But then to defile them like that after the fact. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a Kemper removed the bullets from their heads, further dismembered them and disposed of their body parts in different locations. In March that year, some of Rosalind's and Allison's remains were found by hikers near Highway 1 in San Mateo County. While Kemper was murdering women, there were two other serial killers on the loose committing their own heinous crimes in the area, John Linley Frazier and Herbert Mullins. This resulted in Santa Cruz being nicknamed the murder capital of the world in the press. Lovely. Um, and the crimes committed by Kemper, going by his MO, I suppose, seeing as they didn't know yet who the perpetrator was, were mm. being said as being done by the co-ed killer and or the co-ed butcher. So, so he got some names. You know, they had his, with the MO, they had named yeah. him in the press. So then, moving to April of 1973, Kemper committed his last two murders. It is said in some reports and resources that I've used that a lot of murders he committed happened after Kemper had had an argument with his mother. And this time, instead of targeting strangers, his last two victims were closer to home. On the 20th of April, 1973, Good Friday. Kemper went into his mother's room with a claw hammer while she was asleep and bludgeoned her to death before cutting her throat with a knife and decapitating her. Okay. Kemper then raped her severed head. I'm sorry, I, every time you say that to me, I get it. I don't know what it is. It's, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand that though. And after, he used her head as a dartboard. He also screamed at the head for an hour straight. He cut out her tongue and lar larynx put them in the garbage disposal. However, the mechanism couldn't break them up properly and spit the remains back up into the sink. Lovely. Yeah. This man really said, you will never speak a word to me again. You will never tell yeah, me like, that nobody will love me again. It was sounds like it was definitely the most he, aggressive. Yeah, he was like getting all the trauma and the anger out. Yeah. But, like, bro, see a therapist. Please. Please, um, begging. Oh, but yeah. he was too smart for the psychiatrist. Oh, so. that's fair, yeah. Um, but... After hiding his mother's body parts, Kemper called his mother's best friend, or his mother's friend, Sally Hallett, inviting her over to the house. I thought you were going to say Sally Hansen. <laughs> Sponsored by Tan. Um, his twisted thinking was that he could use her as a cover story, say that Sally and his mother, Clownell, had gone away on vacation together. Kemper strangled Sally not long after she arrived at the house and hid her body in a closet. The next day, April 21st, 1973, he fled from the area... Um, some reports say in Sally's car, Kemper drove east until he reached Pueblo, Colorado. He expected to soon hear of the two murders in the news, but as time went by, he hadn't heard anything. On the 23rd of April, 1973, still in Pueblo, he called the Santa Cruz police and confessed to his crimes. 
Initially, the police didn't okay. believe that Big Ed could be the killer, because remember... Um, I'm surprised. A lot of them knew him from the jewelry room bar. Uh-huh. Um, where he listened to their stories and socialised with many of them, or at least they thought they knew him. However, Kemper soon started to describe things that only the co-ed killer would know. So when he was asked why he decided to stop killing all of a sudden and turn himself in, he said, It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purposes, or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Anyway. He then continued, Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. The foolishness. And at that point, at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it off. Very nonchalant, isn't it? I'm flabbergasted. I feel like I've been flabbergasted a lot this week. Yeah. But that has, that bites the biscuit. Like, even, yeah, it's just, yeah. There's just so much in this. So, obviously Kemper was arrested, and on the 7th of May 1973, he was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder, because, obviously, remember, he's killed ten people, but he was already dealt with the, the situation with the grandparents. So, obviously, he was charged with that previously, dealt yeah. with that, so now it's eight since. And attorney Jim Jackson, the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County, was Kemper's defence attorney. He put forward a not, kill, a not guilty by reason of insanity plea, Due to Kemper's detailed confessions, it would have been next to impossible to plea anything other than insanity. And even an insanity plea was difficult to fight, because um, even with an insanity plea, it was difficult to fight the case against Kemper, as he'd been so articulate and clear about the ways he had planned and prepared for the murders. Mm -hmm. However, back when he was institutionalised after murdering his grandparents, he had been diagnosed then as psychotic, and even though the records had declared him safe, he clearly had not been cured. Yeah. And because of that, there was some hope that an insanity plea could work. Okay. So, yeah. So while waiting for trial to commence, Kemper actually attempted to commit suicide twice by slitting his wrists. Both attempts were unsuccessful, and the trial began on the 23rd of October 1973. Three prosecution psychiatrists found him to be sane, Dr. Joel Fort looked at Kemper's juvenile records to examine the, psychi the psychotic diagnosis he'd been given in the past. Fort interviewed Kemper at length, wait for it, okay. and under truth serum, which refers to using any psychoactive drug in an effort to get information. Okay, right. Um, Fort, right. Yeah. Fort then told the court that Kemper had likely engaged in acts of cannibalism. Fort said that Kemper oh. apparently cooked and ate parts of the girl's flesh after dismembering them. Um, Dr. Fort decided that Kemper knew what he was doing in each incident, was thrilled by the bad reputation of being a mass murderer, or serial killer, and that he was entirely aware it was wrong. Therefore, Fort found him to be sane. Now, in terms of sanity, I do believe he was sane. He knew yeah. it was... He, no, knew, he knew what he was doing. He knew it was what he was doing was wrong, and everything he did was planned or premeditated. Yeah. So, you know, I what the fuck was I trying to say there? Oh, yeah, I do obviously think that he has issues, to say the least, but I don't think he was clinically insane. Um, now, one defence psychiatrist testified to insanity, saying that the crimes were the result of a diseased mind. And yes, between his upbringing, the fact it was believed his mother had undiagnosed and untreated borderline personality disorder, and between the way he was treated by her and potentially being more genetically predisposed to mental illness, mm -hmm. he likely did have some sort of mental illness or issues. But, but not, I don't believe he was insane. Yeah, not to he the made point where he, choices. where he wasn't cognizant and he wasn't yeah. in control of his choices and exactly. his actions. Yeah. He made conscious choices to do what he did and planned every step of it. 
Now, Kemper's younger sister described the strange things she had seen her brother do in an attempt to show that he was abnormal. Once again, I agree he wasn't normal, but that doesn't make someone insane. Yeah. He was in control of his actions, just like he was in control when he decided to stop handing himself in and confess to everything. Yep. On the 1st of November, 1973... Kemper took the stand. He spoke about what he knew about his mental state and tried to convince the jury that his need to possess a woman and acts of necrophilia were clear indications of an unstable state of mind. Which, again, is true. but doesn't mm-hmm. make you insane. Yeah. Unless maybe it's a case of uh, psychologists and stuff need to reevaluate what we consider insane. Yeah. But that's a debate for a whole other time. Um, so, yeah, that they were clear indications of an unstable state of mind which isn't wrong. Um, Kemper had already told interrogators that he had felt remorse and that he had started drinking more and more to relieve the pressure. However, he also described the sexual thrill he got from removing someone's head and said that killing was like a drug to him. Yeah. Just, yeah. Much gross. Much gross. Kemper also described that he felt like he had two beings inhibiting, inhabiting his body, one of which being the killer personality, and when and, and that when it took over, it was kind of like blacking out. He said that the same thing had happened when he shot his grandmother. Now, this man knew everything about assessments and even tricked his own psychiatrist and social workers at 21. And I think at this point he was using how smart he was to say everything he thought would get him a not guilty by reason of insanity. So to me, this is a clear manipulation because he has the knowledge surrounding it all and knows what to say, whether it's the truth or not. And if it was blacking out, how did he remember it all so vividly to confess in detail? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, fair enough, you might remember things, but it would surely be blotched if you're blacked out. Edmund. I called him Edward again. Oh. Um, But yeah, so I don't buy that. No, absolutely not. So the trial went on for less than three weeks, even though... Sorry, I've got more days. I've had to blot my nose to stop myself from sneezing. Uh, The trial went on for less than three weeks, uh, even though Kemper had admitted to cannibalism during the truth serum interview with Dr. Ford. He later said that it wasn't true and that he had only said it to contribute to the insanity defence. Okay. Very possible. Yeah. I don't believe that using a psychoactive drug is going to get the truth out of anyone. Nope. Or at least solely the truth. It could cause delusions, fictional stories and so on as well. So maybe the cannibalism did happen. And maybe it didn't. I don't think that's something that we'll ever know for certain. Mm-hmm. Whether it was something he was saying to make himself look more insane, whether it was something that he was saying under the truth serum, yeah. inverted commas, um, because it was the truth, or whether it was a delusion because of the uh, psychoactive drugs. I don't know. So, on the 8th of November, 1973, the six-man and six-woman jury deliberated for five hours and returned with the verdict that Kemper was sane and was guilty of all eight counts of first-degree murder. Kemper had hoped to receive the death penalty. However, he was convicted during a time when the Supreme Court had placed a temporary stop to capital punishment and all death sentences during that time were to be reduced to life imprisonment. Okay. So the death penalty only became applicable again to crimes committed after the 1st of January 1974. Okay. So when asked by the judge what he thought his punishment should be, Kemper said that he believed he should be tortured to death. Throw back to his childhood games, a gas chamber and electric chair. Um, Kemper was sentenced to seven years to life for each count of first degree murder. Kemper was first sent to the California Medical Facility State Prison at Vacaville for observation before ending up at the maximum security prison at Folsom. 
That's came in into my head prison. as soon as I saw that in research. In time, so, now, if you guys recall from earlier in this case, back when Kemper was on trial for murdering his grandparents, the court-appointed psychiatrist diagnosed Kemper with paranoid schizophrenia, but the psychiatrist and social workers at Atascadero State Hospital disagreed with this diagnosis, as Kemper simply did not fit enough, or, if any, of the criteria for such a diagnosis. Um, and not long after he got to the California Medical Facility, then in 1973, before being moved to the maximum prison, maximum security prison at Folsom, Kemper was re-evaluated and was re-diagnosed with antisocial, narcissistic and schizotypal personality disorder. Ooh. Disorders, sorry, plural. Um, so, yeah. Um, now, I was going to do this like section on um, his imprisonment, but to be honest, most of it is about how great of a prisoner he is and how he's a model prisoner and so on and so forth, and I really don't feel like licking his hole yeah. um, or talking good about him in any way, to be honest, after everything he's done. Um, Disgusting. Like, don't get me wrong, I am. I do think people can change and that people can reform, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that logic with serial killers. Yeah. Anyway. Um, now... One thing I will mention is that Kemper's testimony about his state of mind during the murders was integral to law enforcement's understanding of how serial killers operate. So at least there was some, he was some help in that sense to maybe prevent, you know, because of helping them understand he, they might have been more able to prevent future mm. Kempers. Yeah. Um, or catch them sooner. I don't know. But people who knew Kemper personally even doubt that he has changed. Kemper's half-brother... Um, who remains anonymous in nearly all resources, I think all of them, Fair just for enough. his own safety, Fair really, enough. and his own privacy. Fair but enough. he said, quote, It's laughable. Kemper is a complete sociopath. He could look you straight in the eye telling you how sorry he is for everything he did while at the same time plotting your demise and you'd never have a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't think he could ever be trusted to rejoin normal society. I think he's too smart and manipulative to be believed when, that he's being a model prisoner because he's reformed. I think it's all an act to get released. Yeah, I'm not saying if he was released that he would kill again, but I don't think he can be trusted not to kill again and that releasing him in is, is not a risk worth taking. Mm-hmm. Um, now, jumping to talking about parole, which initially confused the fuck out of me, because he was first eligible to apply for parole in 1979, only six years after the trial. Excuse me. And I couldn't wrap my head around that. So, to make sense of it, I need to first briefly mention the life or parole process in California. Okay. So, in California, offenders that are serving life sentences with the possibility of parole are automatically eligible for a parole hearing, typically 13 months before their minimum eligible parole date or upon reaching the eligibility for the youth offender or elderly parole processes. So, in his case, it's 13 months before their minimum eligibility parole date. Mm -hmm. So, looking back to his sentences, there were seven years to life on each count. So, if I'm interpreting it correctly, he was able to get a parole hearing in 1979 because he could get one 13 months before the minimum eligible parole date, which I'm assuming is the seven years in the seven years to life. Yeah. So the minimum eligible parole date was the seven years on the first count. Yeah. Therefore, he could apply for a parole hearing in 1979 to try and get granted to be released in 1980 once he'd done seven years. Okay, I get you. That's what I gather. I get you. So, Kemper was denied parole at hearings in 1979, 1980, 1981, and in 1982. Um, in 1985, he waived his right to a parole hearing. Um, a prison per- spokesperson said Kemper's decision, which came only moments before his parole hearing in 1985, was due to the presence of the news media. 
Spokesman Joe McGrath said he felt he could not adequately state his case in front of the press. Um, but anyway, in a 1988 parole hearing, he was denied parole again. Uh, during this hearing, Kemper had said, I think I could handle a parole, but I believe wholeheartedly that society is not ready in any shape or form for me and I can't fault them for that, unquote. <laughs> now, like, is that a genuine or is that manipulation? Like, oh, feel sorry for me? You know, Society I just is not don't. Ready for yeah, me. I just don't know what to make of that. I find it hard to comprehend someone going from serial killer to oh, I'm worried about society being ready for me, and I don't blame them for that. You weren't worried about society when you were brutally murdering people, sir. No, not a bit, not a tap. Now, so nearly done now. Actually, just in the nick of time, I kind of sped up a bit a while ago because I was thinking shit. Um, so yeah. He apparently declined to appear before a parole board in 1991, 1994 and 1997. Parole was denied in each of those years because I believe the parole, I'm pretty sure because you're legally entitled to it, it has to go ahead whether you attend yeah. or not. So he, just because he declined to appear, there was still a verdict, which was obviously being denied. In 2002, Kemper waived his right to a parole hearing and agreed not to look for parole again until at least 2007. At Kemper's 2007 parole hearing, his attorney argued that he should be released as he had been a model prisoner for 30 years and never been written up. However, prosecutor Ariadne Simons, don't know if I'm saying that Interesting. right. Interesting. Yeah. Who represented the district attorney's office said, we don't care how much of a model prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Fair enough. Parole was again denied. Kemper waived his right to have a parole hearing in 2012. Oh, sorry. Um, so no, I think that's actually pronounced Ariana. With a D? Yeah, it's, we'll have to look I'm sure into that afterwards. That way. But anyway, potentially Ariana Simmons, or Simons, one or the other. But anyway, so yeah, parole was again denied that year in 2007. He waived his right to a parole hearing in 2012, and then the most recent parole hearing was in 2007, and parole was denied. It is suspected, not confirmed, but suspected that his next parole hearing will be in 2024. He's still alive? Yep. How old is he? Um, I can't remember what he is now, but... Let me double check. Um, Edmund Kemper. Good thing you looked it up because I would have looked up Edward. He's 74. So, yeah. This might sound like a horrible thing to say, but with the man not hurry up and die. It's not really. But, um, yeah, so that is the story of Edmund Emil Kemper III. And I hope he never gets parole because I don't think he can be trusted outside the walls of a prison. Century. So yeah, I'm taking it by all your surprises that this isn't a case you thought it was. I've definitely heard bits of it, but I must never have actually the full scale the of full it. Full scale of it. But with that said, yeah, so he's crazy. I hope he doesn't get parole um, next year. If he, if if parole is next year, surely not. I don't think so. But anywho, with that, that is forty-five minutes, and when I add the the outro, it's going to be a bit longer. So. <laughs> Once again, that was um, thanks for listening, guys. That was interesting. Um, we made it through, and yeah, I stay safe. I'm still flabbergasted. And have a good week, I guess. And don't be a dick. Don't be like Edmund. Yeah, don't be an I Edmund. I got his name right that time. Don't be an Edmund, please, God, don't be an Edmund. But anyway, love, light. Thank you once again to all of you that are listening, and remember. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Bye. Ciao.